Well, today we're continuing in our series for Easter called You're Not Far. And the big idea for this series is that if you've ever felt distant, if you've ever felt far from God, we just want you to know that that's not uncommon at all. Many, many people experience that. But the good news is God is closer than you think. And when we began this series on Palm Sunday, I told you guys that I had a very, very specific agenda, a very kind of narrow focus when it comes to this series, and that my dream was that I would absolutely love it if during this series, all of you who are considering the idea of becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus, and connecting in with the church community, that you would choose to take that next step. That my hope and prayer has been that for those of you who've maybe been coming to this church for a little while, maybe you have a middle school or high school student and they've really enjoyed coming to Fuse on Sunday nights and, and you know, ministering with Pastor TJ and being a part of that, or they really enjoy children's ministry. You've got elementary kids or preschoolers and they've been going to Lighthouse Kids and having a great time there. Or maybe you just, someone invited you and you came here and, and all of a sudden you felt a connection. You know, you got online, someone told you about the service and you just felt a connection that if you're curious about God and Jesus and this Christianity thing, and you've kind of been on the fence, my hope and my prayer is that you would decide to get off the fence and fully embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and this church community as your home. Now, if you're here today or you're watching online, this is your first time with us, maybe first time back to church in a while, and you're thinking, uh-oh, I'm not even sure I believe in God. How does this even apply to me? First off, we are so, so, so glad that you're joining us. And I would just ask that you try to bear with us and keep an open mind, because in this series, we're really unpacking some of our core values as a church. If you want to know more about this church, what we believe in, what our values are, we're going to be talking about that in this series. And we're also going to talk about what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus and hopefully answer the question that you may have had, which is why in the world would anyone make the decision to become a follower of Jesus? And my hope and prayer at the very least is to explain that to you, to kind of give you some insight as to why a rational person would do something like that. And look, if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, um, I get that there's probably a really good reason behind that. You know, maybe for you, you're like, you know, I, I heard that God growing up was a good God, a loving God, but seriously, pastor, I mean, look at the world the last two years, the global pandemic, sickness, death, the threat of a world war going on right now, all of these kinds of things. I can't look at that and believe in a good and loving God. Maybe that's your obstacle. And if that's you, I, I wouldn't say that's dumb. No, that's, that's a legitimate reason. That's a legitimate feeling that you have. Or, or maybe your obstacle is you grew up in a crazy church. And you've just seen so many crazy church people in your life that you think, why in the world would I become one of them? Another valid reason. I mean, we've, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Everybody in here has met a crazy person in church. We don't blame you. Valid reason. Or, or maybe like me, you grew up in a different faith tradition altogether. I mean, my parents immigrated to the United States from India. I was the first in my family born here. I grew up in a Hindu family. And maybe Christianity is appealing to you as it was to me, but your family doesn't believe. And so the idea of becoming Christian would feel like a betrayal to your family. That's a real and valid obstacle. But here's why I'm so excited about this series. I'm so excited about the series because for over 2,000 years, countless people, literally billions of people have made the decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But rarely, if ever, 
Did a person embrace Christianity only after they worked through all their questions and all their obstacles to faith? Rarely does just more knowledge lead a student or an adult to take that next step of faith. Usually, people who come to faith have an extremely personal experience where something breaks their heart or something just touches their heart and and it doesn't answer every single one of their questions. In that moment, all their questions aren't answered, but it shrinks the obstacles holding them back from taking a next step into faith. They, 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 you know, hear or experience something that just kind of touches them in such a way and it leads them to respond. And in that moment, their questions might still be there. They just seem so much smaller and less important in light of their personal experience with God. So if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn to Matthew 29, because we're going to look at two passages of Scripture this morning. We're going to start off in Matthew 29. We're going to end in Acts chapter 2. And and while you're there, um, let me just ask you guys a question. I've been asking you guys some questions throughout this series, but how many of you have ever bought anything off of a television commercial? Can you raise your hand, show of hands? Okay, a lot of us. Yeah, you've bought something off of TV. Um, I, I got to admit to you guys, I confess to you this morning, um, I have done this. I've frequently done this. In fact, probably every ab machine ever shown in an infomercial, I've probably bought. The very first home fitness system back in the 90s called the Solaflex, before Bowflex came out, I bought that. It soon became the most expensive coat rack in my entire house. Uh, how many of you have a fitness equipment coat rack in your house? Can I see a show of hands? Just want to see. Okay, my people. I see a few of you out there. I, I, I get that. Um, how many of you have ever tried like one of those beach body videos like P90X or Insanity? Any P90X or Insanity people out there? Okay, a few of you. Now, keep your hand up if you actually completed it. A lot of hands went down. A few of you did. That's impressive. That is very impressive. Um, I was not able to do that. I tried it. I almost died. Um, the guy on the video kept screaming at me to do a burpee. Do any of you guys know what a burpee is? Yeah, it's where you got to like jump up in the air and then you got to land down and stuff like that. And so he's screaming at me in the video. He's like, land like a cat. Land like a cat. Church, I'm currently 275 pounds. I don't land like a cat. I land like a hippo on steroids, okay? One time I actually took one of those workout DVDs with me on a trip and I was in a hotel, and I started doing burpees in my hotel room, I got a call from the front desk. The person below me thought there was an earthquake that was happening in the building. But here's what I know about infomercials. Infomercials often come on the air at what time of day? At night, right? They often come on at night, really, really late at night. And people who usually buy stuff off of infomercials, um, it's kind of an impulse buy, It's something they do at night when they're alone, and when it comes on, we just get sucked in, and we start thinking our life will become complete. We will become a better person if only we have the ShamWow or whatever the product might be, right? And when we actually get it, we soon realize that it doesn't really fulfill us the way we thought, and so oftentimes it just gets cast aside in the garage, in the basement, it becomes a coat rack, whatever it might be. And and here's the deal. We are much more likely to make a bad, impulsive decision when we're alone, when we're by ourselves. Like if a good friend was hanging out with us, they would say, please don't buy the shake weight. It's a piece of junk, okay? Don't get the shake weight. Not good for you. Now, this same principle 
applies to lots of areas in life. But unlike buying a shake weight from a a, a late-night infomercial, some of us have made some bad decisions in life, you know, that aren't really funny at all. So so let's let's get real for just a minute. Some of us made a bad decision or a series of bad decisions in our lives. And you might refer to it as spring break or freshman year or the first marriage. And looking back on it, at times we think, I really wish that somebody in my life would have cared about me enough to have sat me down and maybe had a difficult conversation with me. Someone who would have said, listen, friend, I see the road that you're traveling down, and I just want you to know, I think that if you keep going down that road, it's going to go badly for you. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, if you're with us today, and again, you're here and you are not a Christian, we are, again, so, so, so glad you're here. And I just want to clarify, the things we're going to be talking about today really can benefit your life if you apply it into your life, even if you're not a Christian. But for those of you here today who consider yourselves to be followers of Jesus, this is something that Jesus actually commanded us to do. So we need to pay special attention. But before we dive in, let me give you a quick recap of what we've been talking about in this series. As I told you earlier, in this series, we've been unpacking our mission as a church and also our core values. And and the things that we've identified as saying these are the core things that really exemplify what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so if if you've never heard this before, if you weren't aware of this, this is our mission statement as a church. Here it is. Our mission is to create experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus. Our mission is to create experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus. And throughout Scripture, we discover that this is really the critical mission of the church. This is why we've made this our mission statement, because this is kind of what Scripture says the mission of the church is. Here's what it says in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And after we talked about this big mission statement we have as a church, we started unpacking our core values. Last week, we looked at our first core value, kind of our overarching core value, and it's this, that loved people love people. That loved people love people. Can we say that together, church, on the count of three? One, two, three. Loved people love people. See, every person you're ever eyeball to eyeball with matters to God. And so they should matter to you if you're a follower of Jesus. Loved people love people. This week, we're going to examine a second core value for our church. And that's this, that according to the scriptures, growing people grow with people. Growing people grow with people. You see, Scripture clearly tells us that we are not called to do life alone. We're not called to be a solo Christian out on an island all by ourselves. God didn't call us to walk through life by ourselves. There is no such thing, I would argue, as a growing Christian that isn't tied into a local body of believers to be able to provide support for them. And you can try to get around this all you want, but church, it's not biblical and it will go badly for you. In fact, there is a very, very famous person in Scripture who illustrates this principle, I think, magnificently. So let me ask you a Bible question. 
Who do you think was probably the most well-known of the 12 apostles? What do you guys think? Shout it out. Okay, Paul wasn't one of the original 12, but he, he was very famous, wrote a lot of the New Testament. Out of the original 12, who do you think? Peter. Yeah, I would agree. I would say it's Peter. You know, it wasn't Bartholomew. Some of us don't even know who he was. It wasn't Thaddeus. It wasn't Simon the Zealot. Like, Paul, like Peter was the man, okay? He was the first to realize, if you read through the New Testament, he was the first to realize that Jesus was actually the Messiah, he walked on flipping water with Jesus. Like, how amazing is that? His love and loyalty to Jesus was unquestioned. So today, as we unpack this idea that growing people grow with people, we're, we're going to start by looking at, at an incident in the life of Peter. So let's pick up, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app with you, Matthew 26, verse 56. We'll also, as always, put it on the screens for you as well. But here's what it says. It says, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So this is right after Jesus was betrayed by Judas and then he was arrested. All of the disciples did what? They fled. They scattered. Okay? So, so I'm going to clue you in again. The apostles see Jesus arrested. They run. Peter ran. Peter ran from the literal body of Jesus. Now, what's the body of Christ today? What do we call the body of Christ today? The church, that's right. And so Peter separated himself, not only from Jesus, but he also separated himself from his closest people, the other apostles, the people who kept him accountable in life. And you know what happens every time a person starts to separate themselves from the church and from their closest people who help keep them accountable? It goes badly. It goes badly. In fact, in 24 years now in pastoral ministry, I have never seen someone who walked away from the church and walked away from their closest Christian community and said, wow, I am really growing in my relationship with God now. All right? Let's pick it up in verse 58. Here's what it says. But, but Peter followed him at a distance, Jesus, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Some of us are just like Peter. Some of us do this. We follow Jesus, but we follow him from a distance. And Peter sits with the guards. He sits with the, the literal enemies of God, enemies of Jesus at the time. Peter takes himself away, separates himself from the body of Christ. He separates himself from the other apostles, his closest Christian support and accountability. And he sits alone with the enemies of Jesus. And watch what happens, continuing on. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. I don't know what you're talking about. If you start to take yourself away from the body of Christ and your closest Christian community, denial is not something that might happen. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's not when will you walk away from Jesus, okay? It's, it's going to happen. It, it's going to happen. It's not will you walk away, it's when will you walk away. If Peter, who walked away from Jesus, fell into this trap, again, probably the greatest of the original apostles, if he fell into this trap, how easily can we? But he didn't just deny Jesus once. Story continues in verse 71. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him 
and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man, exclamation mark, okay? So when we start to deny Jesus in our life, when we, we have that separation from the church, separation from our closest people of accountability, and we start to deny Jesus in our life, it gets easier and easier and easier to do it again. Verse 73, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Notice how his denials in this account get stronger and stronger and stronger. First he denies, then he denies with an oath, then he completely flips out and starts cussing people out and denying like crazy. Verse 75, immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, that last verse might seem really depressing, but it's actually a passage in Scripture that gives me hope in my life. That passage lets us know that Peter actually loved Jesus and belonged to Jesus because he realized how his denial must have broken Jesus' heart, and he repented. This was a turning point for Peter. He repents, he turns back to God, and he starts to make things right in his relationship with God. And Peter would go on to become one of the greatest heroes in the Christian faith. But what he can, what we can learn from him is that if Peter fell into this trap, if Peter was able to so easily slip in, into this kind of drifting from God and denying Jesus, so will we if we distance ourselves from the body of Christ in Christian community. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to community to be an active participant in the family of God. Christians are called to this. There's actually a Greek word called koinonia, which means partnership or fellowship or relational connection. In other words, we're called by God to do life together in an intimate and committed way. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning of, of Scripture, if you go back to the first book of the Bible, to the Genesis account where we get the creation story, you'll see that God illustrates this. I mean, God is creating the whole world. He's creating everything. And after every aspect of creation, he pauses and he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then God creates people. He creates Adam. And after he creates Adam, he notices that something is wrong. And God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. In that creation account, right from the beginning of Scripture, God makes it clear that we as people are created for fellowship with other people. And I've met Christians over the years who've said, Pastor, I am really trying to grow in my faith. I'm really trying to grow as a Christian. I'm trying to take next steps. I'm attending church regularly. I'm praying in my life. I'm reading my Bible. I love God. I just don't feel like I have this spiritual passion. I feel like something's missing. I mean, I don't wake up every day just really excited and feeling the presence of God in my life. I love God. I want to make a difference for him in the world, but it just feels like something is missing. And after I've spoken to someone like that, 
More often than not, nine times out of 10, I've discovered that they were not plugged into any Christian community in their life. In order to grow into the person that God wants us to become, we need community. Why? Because growing people grow with people. And I think this is especially a struggle for us as Americans because we live in like the wealthiest nation in the world. Uh, you know, we, we're, we live in a place where people are not only materialistically, but, you know, ex experientially rich. We can do lots of things. We have the income to be able to make lots of choices that other people in the world can't make, but at a cost, because oftentimes we wind up becoming relationship poor. Most people can not only get their basic needs met, but they can also get many of their wants met. And we try to give our kids, if we're a parent, we try to give them all the things that we wish that we had growing up, from stuff to sports and activities, but we have very few deep relationships with people, especially people outside of our immediate family. We might have a thousand friends on, you know, on social media or followers on social media, but we still feel terribly, terribly alone in life. Most Christians I know don't participate in any kind of biblical community, shared life, deep, committed, spiritual relationships with other people. Most American Christians are relationally starving. And why is that? Well, I think one big reason is that for years, we as church leaders have asked and a very important question of people in our church community. And here's the question that we've asked. We've asked people, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I think that's a critical question. I mean, that is such an important question because 100 years from now, a lot of things in life aren't gonna matter. 100 years from now, it's not gonna matter what sport you played or what instrument you learned or what your job was. These are things that are not gonna really matter 100 years from now. You know, what did you get in geometry? Nobody's gonna care 100 years from now. All that will matter is, did you have a personal relationship with Jesus? So that's a very, very, very important question in our lives and the lives of our family members. But I think there's a second question, which is almost as important, but it's a question that's rarely ever asked in church. And that question is this, do you have shared relationships in Christ? Do you have shared relationships in Christ? Are you doing life in a committed way with other people who are trying to follow Jesus like you. See, you can have an even deeper relationship with God when you experience him in community with other people in your life. Jesus didn't say in scripture, wherever one of you gather, what did he say? He said, wherever two or three, two or more of you gather together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Do you feel like something is missing right now in your life or in your walk with God? that you're just not growing the way you should. As a follower of Jesus, you are called to biblical community. Why? Because growing people grow with people. And so we're gonna to finish today by looking at the very first biblical community of about 3,000 believers found in Acts chapter two. And my hope as we end today is that we're gonna allow their lives to minister to ours and speak to ours. Because I think we can learn two important things about community from looking at the very first church in Acts. The first thing we can learn is this, that community demands commitment. That if you really wanna experience biblical community, it demands commitment. It's not gonna happen by accident. You're not just gonna walk into it. You're not just gonna luck into some deep spiritual relationships. You have to make the decision 
You have to want it. You have to pursue it. So here's what we learn about these early followers of Jesus in Acts 2, verse 42. Here's what it says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves, they committed themselves, it says in that passage, to four very specific things in order to grow as believers. And so what I want you to do is, is I want you to examine these four things. We're going to talk about these four things in our last five minutes or so together. And as we talk about these four things, I want you to do some self-evaluation this morning. I want you to look at yourself and say, how am I doing on a scale of one to 10? How am I doing in these four areas? How am I doing? And if it's not happening right now, what could I do to change these four areas in my life? So if you're taking notes, the first one is this teaching teaching. How often are you getting together with other people and studying the Bible? Yeah, it's important to study God's Word on your own. It's important to have personal devotions, but it's also very, very critical to be able to study the Bible with other people. Because what will happen is this, you'll study a passage of Scripture with a group of people in a small group community You'll get together in a living room or, you know, sit around in a circle with some people and you'll, you'll look at a verse that maybe you've seen or you've heard a hundred times before in your life, but somebody in that group will say something that you have never thought of before. And you will look at that passage of scripture in a completely, completely different way. There's something powerful about sharing God's word in biblical community. Are you sharing God's word together? The second area is this, number two, if you're taking notes, fellowship, fellowship. Are you doing life together with other people? Not just, hey, how are you on a Sunday morning in the lobby? Good to see you again. We should do lunch sometime. And then you walk away and you're like, I really hope they don't take me up on that. I'm really busy, right? But are you instead really opening up and being real with some people in your life? Do you have people in your life and you woke up in this morning, this morning with them on your mind? and you said a prayer for them? Are there some people in this world who woke up this morning with you on their mind and they said a prayer for you this morning? Do you have that kind of relationship in your life? Are there people in your life who you can share your struggles with, where you can take off a mask and you can be real, you can share your temptations and struggles and challenges, and you know that there's people out there who are gonna keep you accountable when you're in danger? A few years ago, um, I had the opportunity, my wife and I, Julie, to go on a mission trip to Kenya, Africa. And it was, it was an awesome, awesome experience. Um, we, we were sponsoring a child in Kenya, and we actually got to meet him, which was amazing. And we actually got to do work on the school that he was going to. Um, it was in a very rural community of Kawira, north of Nairobi. But at the end of this trip, they had kind of a fun day planned for us where they took us out on an African safari. And so our little church group, were on this, this tour bus and we go out into the safari, out into the savannah. And one of the coolest experience is that as we're driving along this road, our tour guide stops the bus, slows it down and stops and says, look out in that field over there, laying down in the grass, you can just make it out. And we looked and laying out in the grass, about maybe 100 yards or so away, a football field away from where we were, was a lion, a male lion, just laying out in the grass. We thought it was the coolest, coolest thing. We started trying to take photos and all this. And we had one guy in our group, 
It's always the military guy. He was a military guy in our group. He got so excited. He wanted to get the best shot possible. He was in the back of the bus. He climbed out the back window of the bus onto the roof of the bus, laid down on the roof of the bus to get some good pictures of this lion. And as soon as he did that, that lion popped straight up and started walking towards our bus. And our guide on the bus, who didn't see what happened in the back of the bus, was like, wow, that's really unusual. That is really, really unusual. Lions normally don't act like that unless they're hunting some sort of prey, which is why we never get off of the bus. And at that moment, all of us who were on the back of the bus started screaming for the guy to get back in the bus. We're like, the lion is coming. You need to get back in the bus. And then our guide realized that somebody was out of the bus, on the roof of the bus, and our guide started panicking and screaming, you need to get back on the bus. We need people in our lives sometimes to tell us to get back on the bus. See, some sins we don't wrestle with, but it's the things we don't see coming because our focus is not there. I mean, he was too busy trying to take the perfect picture, looking at his camera lens to realize that his life was in danger. It's the things we don't see coming that makes community essential for our survival and our commitment to Jesus. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think this verse teaches us some important things. First off, that cats are evil. But second, that we've got to be willing to look out for each other. We need some wise counsel and wise friends around us to knock some sense into us when we're about to walk off a cliff or step into some danger. This is exactly what my small group community has done for me for years. I've shared this with you guys before, but Julie and I have been involved in small group community for almost 25 years of our life now. We've either led small groups or attended small groups throughout that entire time. And over the years, I've had some people in my small group who were so impactful in my life and the future of my family. I had some guys in my small group who I gave permission to really be real with me and to call me out whenever they would see me walking towards danger. Because I might, I might be the pastor of this church, but again, I'm not perfect. There are no perfect people. We say that all the time. All of us have temptations and challenges and struggles and weaknesses. And one of those guys, several years ago, um, he invited me out to coffee. And he said, Pastor, can we go out and grab some coffee together? Uh, my treat. And I said, sure, awesome. And we went out and we had a great time together and laughed and joked and shared stories. And then, then he said, Pastor, um, I, I, I want to just tell you something in love. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I love your family. And, and I just want you to know that, that you need to be careful. I mean, we've been in small group together a long time. We know each other pretty well. But I just need to speak to you in love and tell you that I feel like you're so consumed with church that it's actually having a negative impact on your family. Your family needs you around. Your family needs you present. You need to stop taking your computer on vacation with you and, and doing church work. You need to stop answering every phone call and every text message as soon as it comes, no matter what time of day or night it is. Your wife and your kids deserve better from you. 
Don't, don't sacrifice your family on the altar of work. Ouch, right? That was a little bit hard to heal. And I wasn't even sure. I was like, is that true? Like, am I really doing that? But it led me to have a conversation with my wife, Julie, and she started confirming some of the things that he was telling me. I mean, I remember her telling me, I think you're a great dad and I think you love our kids, but sometimes I wonder if you really care about me at all. And that was, that was an eye-opening conversation that I had with my wife. And it led me to start to change some habits. Julie and I even started going to marriage counseling together for a while. See, church has become a place where people have learned to become fake, to put on false appearances, to pretend like life is perfect and we're all doing great. And then when somebody falls into sin, everyone acts shocked. Instead, what we need to do is we need to encourage one another. And we need to start being real. We need to start having some real friends in our life who are trying to walk the same direction we are with God. And we need to start opening up and being real with them so we can really change. And encouraging one another, don't get me wrong, it's not condoning bad behavior. It's about actually caring enough to pick up your fallen brothers and sisters when they're down and saying, you know what? You don't have to live this way. You can overcome this. God will give you the strength to overcome this, and he has sent me to walk with you and help you make it through this. I want our church to be a place where it's okay to not be okay, and we can still come together and be real with one another and start to get help and start to change and start to make next steps to get where God wants us to go as we grow in Christ. The third area where we can learn from these early followers of Jesus is this. If you're taking notes, number three, breaking bread together. Breaking bread together. Now, some of us are like, you know, I didn't score too good on those first two. I was probably below a five on those first two. But I'm really good at this one because I love to eat. I'm not talking about just stuff in your face, okay? I'm talking about are you opening up your home to other people, making a meal, breaking some bread, having a spiritual experience with others. Some people are like, well, my home pastor isn't nice enough to invite others over. Boy, are you missing the point of what we're talking about today. I live in a home with my wife, Julie, five children ranging in ages from 18 to two, my mother, and a puppy. Every single area of my house looks like a bomb went off in it, okay? Some of you are parents in the room. If you're a parent in the room and you feel like the house can never be clean, will you raise your hand? Look around. You have support, okay? We're all there with you, all right? Uh, last month, I found underwear in my dishwasher. I don't even know how it got there. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But the point of community isn't pretending that you live in a perfect home and that you have a perfect life. The point is to be real. The point is to lean on one another. Maybe for some of you, your next step is at the end of this service, I'm going to be out in the back and Pastor Nancy's going to be out in the back. Maybe it's approaching Pastor Nancy and saying, Pastor Nancy, I'm praying about opening my home up this fall to host a small group. Maybe that's your next step. The last area is this, number four, praying together. Praying together. Are you experiencing prayer in community? Not just, dear God, please bless this food, let's eat but getting on our knees before God with other people to lift each other up in prayer. When was the last time you've really done that? You gathered with a group of people and you just prayed together 
and you shared needs and you listened to one another and you just genuinely, your heart broke for some other people and you prayed. So number one, community demands commitment. Number two, last point today, number two, community produces results. It might demand some extreme commitment, but the awesome thing about community is it produces results. Check out what happened in scripture with the early church, verse 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. See, they weren't caught up in infighting in the early church. There wasn't denominations arguing over who was right. They were united as the church. They were together and they broke selfishness through the power of generosity, actually being the church to people in their community, telling about the good news of Jesus, meeting together, helping those in need. What would happen if the church started acting like that today in 2022? I think it could change our communities. I think it could change our state of Maine. I think it could change our country. I think it could change the world. How many people would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior if the church actually began acting like that? Look at what happened to the first church. Verse 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord did what, church? Added to their number daily those who were being saved. Doing community demands commitment, but it produces results. By pursuing community, the owners of the first church grew in their personal faith and they grew the church. This is why one of our core values, one of our five major core values as a church is that growing people grow with people. And we want everyone who decides to partner with us, we want everyone who considers themselves to be an owner of this church to seek out biblical community in their life. See, life change happens when we're willing to stop being fake and pretending and start being real with some people in our life. And this takes time. This takes effort. This isn't easy. It doesn't just happen in the lobby of the church. This is why small group community is critical. It's absolutely critical. And I'm excited to say probably about 75% of our, our church owners right now are involved in some type of small group community. I think that's awesome, but I think we can have more. I think we can do better at this. I think it's important, it's critical. Growing people grow with people. So my question to you today as we end is simply this, do you have that? Do you have that? And if not, here's my challenge to you. Three things, three challenges for you. Number one, if you don't have biblical community in your life, would you be willing to make the effort to seek it out? Would you be willing to make the effort to seek it out? Pastor Nancy knows every single small group that meets in this church. I'm sure there's a place for you. We can find a place for you. Number two, if you have relationships with other believers, like you are attending a small group, you have accountability and community in your life, would you be willing to take it to the next level and start getting a little bit more real with the people in your group? Because oftentimes we can be in a small group and still wear a mask. Are you willing to take it off? Be a little bit vulnerable, be a little bit transparent and start going deeper with the people in your group. And then number three, would you be willing to pray about partnering with us and opening up your home to a small group? Or maybe even actually leading one? 
And I know that's scary, but we won't leave you hanging. We'll support you and equip you. We'll pair you up with another leader. We'll give you the tools to succeed. But are you willing to be obedient to God if he's telling you, yeah, I want you to open up your home and host, or I want you to consider to lead a small group. And if that's something you're again willing to pray about, let us know. We would love to hear that and we'll walk alongside you as you prepare to do that. Community is critical. It's critical. We're not meant to do the Christian life alone. Why? Say it with me again. Because growing people, what? Grow with people. That's right. Let's pray together, church. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, God, I, I just thank you. I thank you for this congregation, Lord God. I thank you for people who, who don't want to just come to church once a week and sit in some rows and just walk out of here unchanged. But to be a part of a community, I love my church, to be a part of a community where people are actually taking next steps and wanting to grow and wanting to change and wanting to become more and more and more like Jesus. Father God, I just praise you to have a community like that. Lord, for some of us who may be struggling in this area of our life, that we, we just haven't had real Christian community. We don't have people in our lives who we can be real with and who hold us accountable and who support us and who we can support and we can pray for and we can hold them accountable. And we just don't have that. Father God, I pray that, that this challenge would be received well and accepted by the people of your church, Lord God. Now, there are some people right now who would say, you know what, I've got a next step to take. God, we thank you for, you know, the, the wisdom of being able to look into scripture and see this incredible story of the apostle Peter who wasn't perfect and who screwed up and who drifted from you and drifted from community and denied you three times. Like how embarrassing was that for Peter in his life? But he didn't give up. He realized he was wrong. He repented. He turned back to you and he embraced community and he wound up becoming a hero in the church. He did great things in his life for you, God. Lord, give us the wisdom to know what to do with that account in scripture and give us the courage to actually take action, to take a next step, to say, I need community in my life. I'm gonna join a small group. I need to be more real with people in my life. I'm gonna start taking off a mask and being more transparent, risking getting hurt and sharing some stuff that's going on in my life right now even if it's embarrassing. That we might say, you know what? God, I feel like you're calling me to open up my home. My home doesn't belong to me. God, it belongs to you. I feel like you're calling me to open it up, to allow some people to gather together so we can grow closer to you. God, I feel like you're leading me to maybe even be a leader, a facilitator who can help lead a small group. God, I'm a little scared about that. I'm a little nervous about that. Help me to do it. Help me to do it, God. I can't do it on my own, but I can do it through you. Wherever this may have landed for you today, I pray again that we're able to, to have the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do something about it. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your people. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise today. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, can we stand and just continue to respond as God speaks to us? Again, the altars are always open. If you've got some business you need to nail down with God, you need to come forward in prayer. We would love for you to do that. You are welcome to do that.
But let's stand and respond as the worship team leads us.
things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. Sing it out. You stay. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me. check out a small group there are four starting in, a, in the next couple of weeks that um, that will be newly up and running it's a great time to plug in so see us out in the foyer we'll love to help you get connected let's pray gracious heavenly father we thank you for who you are we praise you lord for the truth of of this message lord your love never fails and you have called us to dwell more richly in that love as we partner in community lord thank you for the richness of christian friends and what happens in the context of a setting like that lord help us to be courageous enough to take a step in that direction lord to be willing to say you know i've never tried it i'm willing to take a step and uh, and see if it's a fit lord give us that courage and help us to experience all that you have for us we love you. We thank you for loving us. Go before us as we head into our week. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. God bless. Have a great week, everyone. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. 